Our reading today is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. The word of the Lord. I want to tell you a story uh, about a guy named Terry. Terry grew up in the coal mining fields of western Pennsylvania, blue-collar family. In fact, he says that if the men in his family had worn a cologne, the scent would have been a combination of diesel fuel and dirt. That's where he came from. But as a young man, Terry hustled, um, and, and early in life, he achieved a level of success, influence, power, and fame that very few people ever achieve. It looked like he was on top of the world, but there was a problem. Because Terry didn't just grow up in a blue-collar family. As a child, his life was filled, his family was filled with adultery, crime, addiction, violence. By the time he was five years old, he had already witnessed death. His grandfather uh, used him as a pawn in his adulterous affairs. Terry experienced things that no child should ever experience. And he grew up terrified as a result, but because no one in his family ever talked about what happened, Terry thought there was something wrong with him. He thought that, that his fear meant that there was something wrong with him. His dad told him to stop being afraid. He called him a weenie. And so all his life, Terry grew up with all of this stuff, but, but as he was growing up, that fear turned into anger, then it turned into aggression, and ultimately it turned into performance so that Terry hustled and performed and achieved his way to the top of his field. But the whole time, he wasn't really chasing success. He was running from his losses. He was running from his wounds, his insecurities, from the voice of his father calling him a weenie. Terry had never named those things as losses. He had never grieved those things as losses. So even though it looked like he was on top of the world, eventually the weight of all of his ungrieved losses caught up with him and landed him in a psych ward where he was finally forced to begin the process of healing. Today, one of Terry's main messages to people is this. He says, life is a series of ungrieved losses, but loss is meant to be grieved. And when we fail to grieve losses, that loss internalizes. We feel that pain. And then what do we do? We find some way to kill the pain. You can kill it through performance. You can kill it through addiction. But people want to kill the pain of loss. We all know what it's like 
to have ungrieved losses in our lives. We all have losses in our lives that we've never grieved. Terry's story shows us where that leads. Ungrieved losses lead to unhealed lives. Ungrieved losses lead to unhealed lives. They lead to driven lives, to addicted lives, to comfortless lives, to lives where we're just trying to find some way to kill the pain. How do we find healing from that? The Sermon on the Mount is the longest teaching of Jesus in the Bible. And it begins with this passage that we just read, which is called the Beatitudes. This morning, we're looking at the Beatitude where Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. This is Jesus's answer to the pain of grief and loss. What is that answer? Well, let's find out by asking three questions. Who are the mourners? Why are they mourning? And what is God doing about that? Who are the mourners? Why are they mourning? And what is God doing about it? Okay, first, who are the mourners? When Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted, any Jewish person in his audience at that time would have immediately recognized, oh, he's talking about Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61 says this, the spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, to comfort all who mourn, and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow upon them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning. Any Jewish person would have recognized Jesus is talking about Isaiah 61. Jesus is tapping into the story of Israel, their story as a nation. That story goes like this. About a thousand years before this, God had rescued Israel out of slavery in Egypt and brought them into the promised land. You can read about that in the book of Exodus. But then about 500 years later, um, other nations invaded uh, Israel, destroyed their homes, and carried them away into captivity. They were scattered all over the ancient world. But God had always promised that one day he was going to defeat their enemies and bring them home. So here it is, about 500 years after that, Jesus comes on the scene and, um, and here are the Jewish people. And yet, even though they're physically back in their original homeland, they were oppressed. They were in subjugation under the Roman Empire, in political oppression, economic oppression, cultural and religious and social oppression. That's what was going on in their lives. So when Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted, he's naming their deepest wound. Because the immediate context for them was, on the one hand, all of their hopes and dreams and longings that one day their suffering would come to an end. But on the other hand, all of the pain, confusion, grief, loss, and sorrow of wondering, why hasn't it happened yet? Why are we still suffering when Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, he's tapping into their deepest wound as human beings. We all know what it's like to feel like that. Even if you're not sure what you believe about God, we all know what it's like to have hopes and dreams and longings. And we also know what it's like for, for those things to be crushed by the reality of life. Because we all have things that have happened to us. Injustices, wounds, betrayals, losses, tragedies, violations, abuse, you have been hurt. Some of you have been shattered. And, and the thing that makes this even more tragic is the reality that we live in a world, we live in a culture that exalts success and, and sees brokenness as a sign of weakness and failure. 
So that in our culture, we feel a tremendous amount of pressure to cultivate that perfect image, especially on social media. You know, we were talking about shame last week. There's so much shame um, attached to our wounds. We have so many losses in our lives, but we've never had a chance to grieve those losses because in our world, we're not allowed to name our losses. Kate Bowler is a, a writer and a professor of history at Duke Divinity School. Um, a few years ago, she got a phone call from her doctor telling her that she had stage four cancer. She was only 35 years old. And of course, all kinds of thoughts went through her mind. She says she was thinking about her husband, about their newborn baby. But one of the first thoughts that went through her mind when she found out she had cancer was, this is so ironic. Why would she say that? Because she had just published a book called Blessed, which is a history of the American prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel says that God grants health and wealth to people who have the right kind of faith. It says that your thoughts control your whole life, so you should never think negative thoughts, only positive thoughts. Thoughts like, God's health is mine. His success is mine. I'm a winner. I'm a conqueror. I am blessed. In fact, Kate Bowler says, that word blessed has become a full-fledged American phenomenon. In fact, has its own hashtag, hashtag blessed. It says that that God wants to bless people with maximum health, wealth, and happiness and prosperity, and that if you're not experiencing that, if you are not hashtag blessed, in other words, if you're poor or broke or sick, or if you're in grief, if you're suffering, or if you're depressed or anxious, that if you're experiencing any of that, then you didn't have enough faith, you haven't had your breakthrough yet, you did something wrong. In fact, it's not just religious people who say this. Kate Bowler says this. She says, Americans believe in a gospel of optimism. The idea that we're all supposed to be positive all the time has become an American obsession. But the problem is when it becomes a kind of poison in which it expects that people who are suffering, which is pretty much everyone right now, are somehow always supposed to find the silver lining or not speak realistically about their circumstances. The main problem is that it adds shame to suffering by just requiring everyone to be prescriptively joyful. Don't be sad. Rejoice on command. Friends, who are the mourners? It's all of us. We all have losses. We all have grief and pain and sorrows in our life. The problem is that we live in a world where not just religious people, but also secular people, we live in a world that says it's not okay to mourn. It's not okay to say, I'm lost, I'm hurt, I'm sad, I'm afraid, I'm in pain. I don't have any of the answers. We live in a world that says, woe to those who mourn. But Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. He says, happy are those who are sad. How can Jesus say that? Well, before we find out, we need to ask another question. We've just seen who are the mourners, but secondly, why are they mourning? And this is a place where we need to do some very careful thinking, by the way, because Jesus is not saying that our thought life doesn't matter. He's not saying that what goes on in our minds and in our heart doesn't matter. In fact, as we go deeper into the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to show us that what goes on in our heart and in our mind, that it matters infinitely. But here's the reality. We live in a broken world. We live in a fallen world full of of grief and pain and evil. That means that that we are not in control of about mm, 99% of the stuff that happens to us in life. 
But at the same time, that does not mean that we have no responsibility for the state of our lives and the state of our world. Because remember, Jesus is tapping into Isaiah 61. God had promised that one day he was going to send a Messiah, a Savior, someone who was going to say, the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the captives, to comfort all who mourn. Now let's ask the question, why are these people in this passage mourning? Well, um, as we talked about, um, Jerusalem had been invaded by the Babylons. Their homes had been destroyed. And, and Babylon had carried them away into captivity. They were mourning the tragic circumstances of their lives. Babylon carried them into exile. But why did that happen? Why did that happen? Here's why. For hundreds of years before this, God had been warning Israel through prophets like Isaiah, warning them to stop worshiping false gods. Gods of military um, supremacy, gods of political domination, gods of uh, uh, domination, gods of um, economic prosperity or sexual promiscuity, and that if they didn't stop worshiping these false gods, God was going to carry them away into exile. You see, whenever we worship something other than God, that's what the Bible calls sin. Whenever we worship anything other than God, no matter how good it is, whether it's fame or success or money or family or romance or sexual fulfillment or even justice or politics, whenever we worship something other than God, we take it into the center of our life. We build our whole lives on that. Not only does that distort and corrode our lives, but it is a betrayal of God of the very deepest kind. Friends, that's why the people in Isaiah 61 are mourning And that's why when Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, the mourners Jesus is talking about are not just people who are mourning the tragic circumstances of their lives. That is going on. Jesus is talking about people who are also mourning the grief and the repentance of their own sin, their own contribution to the brokenness and evil of this world. It says they have ashes on their head. Ashes are a sign of repentance, Ashes are a sign of of grief and deep sorrow over the part I play in the brokenness and evil of this world. You know, we were just talking a little bit ago about how we live in a world that makes it really hard for us to name our grief and our losses. We also live in a world that makes it really hard for us to name the part we play in the evil of this world because it's always someone else's fault. It's always the other person. It's always the other tribe. It's always someone else's fault. Never mind. If we put all of this together, here's what Jesus is saying. When he talks about the mourners, Jesus is talking about people who are mourning the the tragedy and the wretchedness of their physical circumstances in this world, but he's also talking about people who are mourning their own participation, their own contribution to the um, evil and the brokenness of this world. Now, here's what this means for our life. Let me give you just a few brief applications of this. And the first is this. We should never drive a wedge between the physical and the spiritual. Last week, uh, we were looking at the poor in spirit. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, he is talking about people who are economically poor because that's what the word poor means. But he's also talking about our spiritual condition because he says poor in spirit. 
The same thing is going on in this passage. Jesus is talking about people who are mourning the the brokenness and the evil of their lives in this physical, material world, but he's also talking about the idolatries and the spiritual distortions and the worship of false gods that results in the brokenness and the evil of our lives in this physical and material world. We should never drive a wedge between the physical and the material, and and the spiritual, I mean. We should always keep those two things together. But second, um, Jesus is showing us that when we do look at the brokenness and the evil of this world, that we should learn to ask the question, what's my part? When you have a breakdown in a relationship with somebody, maybe, you know, something goes sideways with somebody, or you're looking around at the world, at all the evil in the world, we should learn to ask the question, what's my part? Yeah, I may not be 100% responsible, but what false gods have I given my heart to? What are the idolatrous distortions in my life, and how have those things contributed to the evil and the brokenness of this world? So, first, we should never drive a wedge between the physical and the spiritual. Second, we should learn to ask, what's my part? But thirdly, stick with those who mourn. We need to learn to stick with those who mourn, because Jesus says that to mourn doesn't just mean that we're mourning only the tragic circumstances of our own life, but that we also are mourning the tragic circumstances, the wretchedness and the brokenness of the lives of other people in this world. That we begin to identify with others, to empathize with others, to show solidarity with others who are mourning. That means we stick with the poor, we stick with the weak, the defenseless, the marginalized, the oppressed, with the abused, with the violated, with the rejected and the abandoned in this world, we stick with them. We learn to stick with those who mourn. Friends, we live in a world that is filled with tragedy, grief, brokenness, and evil. This world is not the way it's supposed to be, and we all have a part to play in that. So how can God say, how can Jesus say, blessed are those who mourn, happy are those who are sad? Well, that leads to our last point. We've seen who are the mourners. We've seen why are they mourning. But lastly, what is God doing about it? What is God doing about it? I want us to notice that in every single one of the Beatitudes, uh, Jesus is not saying, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, because being poor in spirit is a really good thing. He's not saying, blessed are those who mourn, because mourning and grief and tragedy and loss are really good things. He's not saying that. If that's what he was saying, then the Beatitudes would be nothing more than stupid, banal platitudes that don't make any sense. That's not what Jesus is saying, no. Instead, what he's saying, if you notice, in every single one of the Beatitudes, the blessing is because there's a promise attached to the Beatitude. That means that Jesus is not blessing people. He's not saying congratulations to people because um, poverty or grief or persecution or starvation are good things, but because God loves to pour out the blessings of his kingdom on people about whom the world would say, woe to them. That means, you know what this is? This is the pattern of the gospel. Traditional religion has a tendency to say that God's blessings come to those who are good, to those who are virtuous, to those who have it all together, to those who are strong, to those who um, climb the ladder of spiritual attainments, to those who think positive thoughts. It says that God's power comes into the world through victory, but the gospel says, no, God's power comes into the world through crushing defeat. That God's blessings come to those who are weak and don't have it all together. To those who are moral disasters and are heartbroken over it. To those who haven't managed to pull their life together yet. To those, who, um, to those whose lives are a graveyard of grief covered with ashes. 
Friends, how can he do that? How can God comfort those who mourn? The only way is for us to remember something that we saw last week, that when we look at the Beatitudes, we are not just looking at a picture of what our lives are supposed to look like, but, but a picture of Jesus and what his life looked like. Because remember, Jesus pointed to Isaiah 61 and he said, this is talking about me. It said, he, that's God, God has sent me to comfort all who mourn, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of of mourning. That word instead is a word that speaks of substitution. In other words, it means you give me that, I'll give you this instead. It's a word that speaks of substitution. Friends, that is exactly what Jesus did for us on the cross. On the cross, Jesus said, give me your ashes. Give me your grief, your pain, your loss, your sorrow. I will take all of that and and I have woven them into a crown of thorns that I will wear on my head so that I can give you instead a crown of beauty. Jesus on the cross says, you give me your exile. Give me your lostness. Give me your grief and your ruin and your despair. Uh, See, I am um, mixing all of that up into the cup of God's wrath and all the evil of the world and I will drain that cup to the dregs. I will drain the cup of ashes and and all the smoky ruin of your life so that I can anoint you with the oil of joy and gladness. Friends, there is healing available for you in Jesus. There is comfort available for you in Jesus. But, But if we don't grieve our losses, if we don't name our losses, how is God supposed to to bring comfort to, to people, to those of us who won't even acknowledge that there's something that needs to be healed? You see, it's so hard to name our losses. We live in a world that makes it almost impossible for us to name those things. That it's not okay to name our losses. It is so painful to say, that hurt, that hurt, I am hurt. It's so painful to to say that and to acknowledge that. I don't know really any other way to do that unless there's somebody there to share it with you, to hold you, to comfort you, to be there with you as you name your losses and your grief. I wanna tell you one more story this morning. It's about a woman named Jasmine Ward. Jasmine is uh, an award-winning novelist, very acclaimed writer. Uh, I read an essay that she wrote earlier this month about her own experience with tragedy and grief. You see, this January, um, her whole family got sick. They thought it was the flu, and eventually everyone got better, Jasmine and her two children, except her husband, Because one night, Jasmine's husband found himself unable to breathe. They went to the emergency room, and 15 hours later, after coding eight times, her husband died. The official reason they gave was acute respiratory distress syndrome. He was only 33 years old. Of course, two months later, the world went into shutdown, And it was while she was in quarantine with her two small children, grieving the loss of her husband, grieving the loss of their father, that Jasmine, along with the rest of the world, found out about the tragic murder of George Floyd. Um, When she found out about that, Jasmine says that she was um, unable to look at the video. It was just too painful for her. It was just brought up too much grief for her. Grief that was already compounded by the grief that she was having for the loss of her husband. But then she says, when she saw all the protesters in the streets, marching in the streets all around the world, she says that something broke in her. What broke? She says, what broke was a belief. The belief 
was something that she had grown up all of her life as a black woman in this world. The belief was that black lives don't matter any more than a plow horse or a grizzled donkey. And yet when she saw the protesters in the streets all over the world, she said she recognized that for what it is, witness, that it was somebody, thousands upon thousands of people all over the world coming by her side and saying, I see you, I hear you, I love you, we ain't going nowhere. Those protesters did for Jasmine what she had done for her husband when he was dying. She says at the very end of the essay that the doctors had told her that when someone is dying, your sense of hearing is the last sense to go. That you can lose your sight, your smell, your taste, and your touch. You might even forget who you are. But in the end, they said, they still hear you. They still hear you when you say, I love you. I see you. I'm here with you. We ain't going nowhere. Dear ones, Jesus Christ, that's exactly what he says to you in the midst of your grief and your loss. He says, I see you. I love you. I'm not going anywhere. I am sticking with you because I stuck with you on the cross. My hands were nailed to the cross, stuck to the cross so that I could stick with you in your grief and loss. Give me your pain. Give me your ashes. Give me your sorrow and your mourning. Put them in my nail-scarred hands and see what I can do with grief and ashes and pain. I turn graveyard into gardens. I turn ashes into beauty. That's what Jesus does for us. Friends, we can stick with Jesus because Jesus stuck with us on the cross. We can stick with others because we have a God that sticks with us in our pain and our grief and our mourning and our loss. We can all learn how to do that because we have a God, a Savior named Jesus who sticks with us through all of our grief and our pain. And we see that most clearly on the cross where Jesus stuck with us. Let's pray. Father, we praise you this morning that you are a God who takes ashes and turns them into something beautiful, that you are a God who knows not just intellectually about all the suffering and evil of our world, but a God who has entered into the suffering and evil of this world by taking it all upon yourself on the cross. We praise you for that this morning, Lord Jesus, that you are not a distant God. You are not a God who has stayed far off, far away, to stay away from our grief. You are a God who says, blessed are those who mourn because you took all our mourning upon yourself. And we pray this morning that you would help us to, to move into each other's lives, to be able to be there for others, to say, share your grief with me. Name your loss. Let's name that together. Let's share that together that we would be able to name our losses, grieve our losses, and that we would know that we have a God who's with us in the midst of our grief and our loss and who is transforming that into beauty, into oil, the oil of joy and gladness in this world. For we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.